Section 4 of The Jolly Parisians and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Jolly Parisians by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter 4. In the Volubilis Bower. I have just returned from Les Moreaux and my mind is so full of contradictory thoughts that I have need to go over for myself the history of the day which I spent with Louise, in order to try and form a clear opinion. Although Le Mural is only two leagues from Le Bouquet, I am but slightly acquainted with that corner of our district. Our hunting-grounds are in the direction of Gomerville, and, as it requires quite a long detour to cross the little river of Bieg, I have not taken that route ten times in my life." The hill, however, is delicious, with its ascending road, bordered with tall walnut trees. Then, on the plateau, one again descends, and Les Moreaux lies at the entrance of a valley, the slopes of which soon approach each other again to form a narrow gorge. The dwelling, a small mansion of the seventeenth century, is not of great importance, but the park is magnificent, with its broad downs, and the bit of forest which ends it, and is so tangled that the very paths themselves have been invaded by the branches. When I arrived on horseback, two huge dogs greeted me with barking and continuous leaps. At the end of the avenue I saw a white stain. It was Louise, in a light dress and straw hat. She did not come down to meet me, but stood motionless and smiling upon the huge front steps which led to the vestibule. It was not later than nine o'clock. "'Ah, how charming you are!' cried she to me. You, at least, are an early riser. As you see, I am the only one yet up in the chateau. I complimented her on such courage on the part of a Parisienne, but she laughed, adding, It is true that I have only been here five days. I would rise with the chickens the first morning after my arrival, but from the second week I resume my lazy habits little by little, and finish coming downstairs at ten o'clock, as in Paris. This morning, however, I am still a countrywoman." Never had I seen her so ravishing. In her haste to quit her chamber she had negligently done up her hair, had thrown on the first wrapper that came handy, and, fresh as a rose, her eyes yet moist from her sleep, she was again a child. Little tufts of hair were flying about her neck. I noticed that her arms were bare to the elbows, when her wide sleeves gaped open. "'You do not know where I was going,' she resumed." Well, I was going to see the volubilis growing upon that bower down there, which, it appears, is marvellous before the sun has closed its flowers. So the gardener informed me, and, as I missed my volubilis yesterday, I don't wish to do so today. You will accompany me, will you not? I had a strong desire to offer her my arm, but I realized that such a proceeding would be ridiculous. She ran along like an escaped boarding-school girl. On reaching the bower, she uttered a cry of admiration. A regular drapery of volubilis hung from above, covered with tiny bells pearly with dew, and the delicate tints of which varied from bright pink to violet and pale blue. The bower resembled one of those fantasies in the Japanese albums in its exquisite beauty and strangeness. "'Behold the reward for early rising,' said Louise gaily. Then she seated herself beneath the bower, and I hastened to sit beside her on seeing that she had pushed aside her skirts to make a little place for me. 
I was greatly excited, because the idea had come to me to bring matters to a crisis by seizing her round the waist and kissing her on the neck. I fully realized that this would be brutal behavior, but the idea possessed me, and I could think of nothing else. I don't know whether Louise understood what was passing in my mind. She did not get up, but her air grew grave. First and foremost, shall we not talk about our business, she said to me. My ears buzzed, but I strove to listen to her. It was dark and somewhat cold beneath the bower. The sun pierced the foliage of the volubilis with slender darts of gold, and it looked as if golden flies and other golden insects had settled upon Louise's white wrapper. Where were we? she demanded of me, with the air of an accomplice. And then I told her of the strange tacking about I had observed in my father. He, who for ten years had cried down the new state of things, prohibiting me from ever serving the Republic, had given me to understand, from the very evening of my arrival, that a young man of my age owed a duty to his country. I suspected my aunt of this conversion. The women must have been let loose upon him. Louise smiled as she listened to me. At length she said, I met Monsieur Vauglade three days ago at a neighboring chateau, where I was on a visit. We had a chat together. Then she added briskly, you know that the election to the Council General takes place on Sunday. You must begin your campaign at once. With your father on our side, my husband's success is certain. Is Monsieur Nijon here? I inquired, after some hesitation. Yes, he arrived yesterday evening, but you will not see him this morning, for he has gone off again in the direction of Gomerville to take breakfast at the house of a proprietor, one of his friends, who has great influence. She had arisen. I remained seated for an instant longer, regretting decidedly that I had not kissed her on the neck. Never again would I find such an obscure little nook, such a suitable opportunity, but now it was too late, and I was so thoroughly convinced that I would make her laugh by falling at her feet on the damp ground that I postponed my declaration to a more favorable moment. Besides, at the extremity of the path I had just caught sight of the cumbersome silhouette of Gaucherod. On seeing Louise and me emerge from the bower, he gave a little chuckle. Then he went into ecstasies over our courage in rising so early. He had barely got downstairs. And did Bertha pass a comfortable night? Louise demanded of him. Ma foi, I don't know anything about it, he answered. I have not yet seen her. And, noticing my astonishment, he explained that it gave his wife the headache for the day if anyone entered her chamber in the morning. They had two chambers— that was more comfortable, especially in the country. He concluded tranquilly, with a perfectly serious face, My wife adores sleeping alone. As we were passing along the terrace, which overlooked the park, we saw Bertha and my friend Felix come out from the vestibule. You are not under the weather, then? Louise obligingly asked her friend. No, thank you. Only, you know, change of habitation upsets one's nerves— and besides, at daybreak, the birds make such a noise. I grasped Felix's hand, and the two ladies exchanged smiles, while Gaucherod whistled. Breakfast was served at eleven o'clock. When it was over, Gaucherod disappeared to take his siesta. He had opened his heart to me, confiding to me that he was afraid of not carrying the coming elections, and adding that he counted upon residing three weeks in the arrondissement in order to make friends there. Hence, after having stopped at his uncle's, he had decided to spend a few days at Les Moreaux, desiring to show the entire district that he was on the best terms with the Nijons. That, he thought, ought to gain him votes. 
I understood that he had a great desire to be also invited to my father's house. The misfortune was that I did not seem to like blondes. I passed an exceedingly lively afternoon in the company of the ladies and Felix. The chateau life, with these Parisian graces, disporting themselves in the open air, amid the first sunbeams of summer, is truly charming. It is the salon enlarged and continued upon the downs. No longer the winter salon, where people are somewhat cramped for space, where the ladies in low-necked dresses ply the fan in the midst of black-coated gentlemen standing along the wall, but a holiday salon, the ladies clad in light dresses, running freely along the paths, the gentlemen in jackets, daring to show themselves good-natured, an abandonment of fashionable etiquette, a familiarity which excludes the ennui of ready-made conversation. I must confess, however, that the behavior of the two ladies continued to surprise me, who had grown up in the country among religious women. Louise, after breakfast, as we were taking coffee upon the terrace, indulged in a cigarette. Bertha made use of slang words as if they came natural to her. Later on, they both disappeared, with a great rustling of skirts, laughing in the distance, calling to each other, full of a recklessness which troubled me. It is idiotic to make such an avowal, but these days, so entirely new to me, gave me hope that Louise would speedily accept my homage. Felix quietly smoked cigars. I surprised him occasionally, looking at me with his jeering air. At half-past four o'clock I spoke of taking my departure. Louise instantly protested. "'No, no, you mustn't go. I shall keep you to dinner. My husband will surely return by that time, and you must see him at last. I must absolutely introduce you to him.' I explained to her that my father expected me. We were going to have a dinner at Le Bouquet, at which I found myself compelled to be present. I added, laughing, It's an electoral dinner, and I am going to work for you. Oh, in that case, go immediately, she said. And you know, if you succeed, you can come to me for your reward. It seemed to me that she blushed as she said that. Did she allude merely to the diplomatic post which my father was urging me to accept? I thought I could attribute a more tender meaning to her words, whereupon I assumed an air so insupportably presumptuous that I saw her a second time grow grave, with that curl of the lip which gave her an expression of haughty displeasure. But I had no time to reflect as to that abrupt change of countenance. As I was going away, a light carriage stopped before the steps. At once I believed that Louise's husband had returned, but the vehicle contained only two children, a little girl of about five years and a little boy of four, accompanied by a femme de chambre. They put out their arms, they laughed, and as soon as they could leap to the ground, they ran and clung to Louise's skirts. She kissed them on their hair. "'Whose are these pretty children?' I asked. "'Why, mine, of course,' she answered, with an air of surprise. "'Hers?' I cannot explain the shock which her words gave me. It seemed to me that she had suddenly escaped from me, that those little creatures had dug with their tiny hands an impassable gulf between her and me. What? She had children, and I knew nothing whatever about it. I could not suppress this harsh exclamation. You have children! Certainly, she said tranquilly, they have been a couple of leagues this morning to see their godmother. Permit me to introduce them to you. Monsieur Lucien, Mademoiselle Marguerite. The little one smiled upon me. I must have looked excessively stupid. No, I could not accustom myself to the idea that she was a mother. That upset all my notions. I went away with my head in a whirl, and even now I do not know what to think. 
I see Louise beneath the volubilis bower, and I see her kissing the hair of Lucien and Marguerite. Decidedly, these Parisian ladies are too complicated for a countryman of my experience. I must sleep over the matter. I will try to understand it tomorrow. End of section 4